one of the painful things about our time is that those who feel certainty are stupid and those with any imagination and understanding are filled with doubt and indecision. Bertrand Russell said that. I don't know the context which inspired such a quote, but yeah, I resonate with it. The irony? I resonate with that wholeheartedly today. You see, today I'm talking about the Dunning-Kruger effect. So what is it? It's a cognitive bias in which people with low ability at a task overestimate their ability. You're a business leader. If you don't know what I'm talking about now, you'll get it by the end of the episode. Hi, I'm Deva Mills, the Rebellious Recruiter, and I've been in the trenches recruiting people for over 20 years. Being a recruiter has exposed me to everyone on the leadership team at each company I've worked for, which has caused some interesting observations about competence versus confidence. This is going to be a largely philosophical episode. So pull up a seat. Let's chat. So a couple years ago, one of my besties sent me a text message. She asked me, do you know what the Dunning-Kruger effect is? Well, she's my friend and so is Google. And what has followed has been a casual exploration of how the Dunning-Kruger effect has been me at times, people I've worked with, people I hang out with, and the population in general. My bestie and I, we've referred to the Dunning-Kruger effect several times since then. So what is it? Well, let me take you back to April 19th, 1995. A fellow by the name of MacArthur Wheeler robbed two banks. Mr. Wheeler thought that rubbing lemon juice all over his face would render his face invisible from the security cameras. Why? Because lemon juice is commonly used as invisible ink. He thought the chemical properties of a lemon extended to his face and what the camera saw or supposedly didn't see. Anyway, in 1999, David Dunning and Justin Kruger created this field of study largely in part because of MacArthur Wheeler. What we have now is 20 years of research on the subject. That leads me to where this episode came about. One of the things about me is I see connections. Just like a designer who can see nuances in color that the average person is blind to, I see connections in behavior that create patterns within business. I'm not perfect by any means, but play with me here. Last week, we talked about flyby leadership. This week, we'll touch on how flyby leadership reinforces incompetence on your team, along with other key best practices being employed these days. And they're really just excuses not to be an effective leader and blame others or blame systems. Included in this episode is two Wikipedia links. The second link is a graph I'll be referring to. And remember, Wikipedia is funded through grassroots efforts. If you feel it in your heart, donate them a five spot. The Dunning-Kruger effect graph shows the vertical to be confidence and the horizontal to be competence. It ascertains that at the beginning of a learning process, a person's confidence spikes, but they have gained very little incompetence. It shows the person achieving the peak of Mount Stupid. Then our student or trainee or mentee, whatever you want to call this person, they're dealt a crushing blow and they fall down into the valley of despair. Notably, their confidence is zonked, but their competence, it's moved a bit. It comes over from the know-nothing zone and they start learning at a more desirable line. It shows up at a 45 degree angle. They call this the slope of enlightenment. Basically, the confidence starts building in a one-to-one ratio to the competence they gain. 
and it tops out at the plateau of sustainability and guru-level competence. I know you've seen this play out in your business. I believe it's happening at a greater rate for a few reasons. One of the things I noticed is it doesn't feel like we're taking the time to really train our staff anymore. Instead, we skip the training processes in favor of someone who can hit the ground running, and then we often hire a person who can't walk the talk. Most jobs take at least one year to really get the hang of, but people are way more mobile these days, and we tend to reward mobile people for learning about a lot of things at a very shallow level. With the average worker staying two years or less at a job, you might get one year of a positive return on them. I also believe that automating employee training is adding to this issue. We have an entire generation of people who know how to research the heck out of anything, but they don't know how to deduce that the information they are looking at is real, and they don't understand the value of simply just asking someone, you know, walking down the hall, hey, do you know the answer to this? We've created entire corporate communities around team building events, but not about getting the job done. We relegate team building to an HR event, and we make it happen on a schedule. Then we create flyby leadership. Don't bring me a problem without a solution. What that means is problems aren't being brought to your attention because your workers, they don't know how to solve them. And worse, they might be solving them with the wrong answer because they feel empowered by this methodology. So basically, in a world with information at our disposal, we as leaders, I'm part of it too, we have routinely forgotten about the value of just sitting down with our employees and helping them take the puzzle pieces that I just mentioned and put it together in a way that reward you and your business. I want to be clear, automation of training, it's not bad. It's really good. But sitting an employee in front of a computer, that's not training. You're just giving them the puzzle pieces. You need to show them what the puzzle looks like for them to be able to assemble it. We're currently in the middle of COVID-19 distance learning with my 10-year-old. If you have kids and they are the COVID-19 distance learning type, you know what I'm talking about and the frustrations that surround it. Because pedagogy, how children learn, has five major approaches, according to most people. There's constructivist, collaborative, integrative, reflective, and inquiry-based learning. I know, that was a mouthful. Don't worry, we'll review it in a minute. While pedagogy is largely looked at as how children learn and andragogy is how adults learn. I would submit that using some of these five approaches when bringing a person on board is something that you as a leader can do or a leader on your team should be able to do. So let's go over the main differences between pedagogy and andragogy according to scholars since the 1960s. Now I'm going to be clear, I don't entirely agree with these because I think some of these studies weren't necessarily based on the entire spectrum of the population. You and I know that there's just certain types of workers that we bring in that aren't going to represent these differences, and I'm going to call them out as we talk about them. So the first is, they say the difference between pedagogy and andragogy, they say that adults tend to be more self-directed. Now, I don't know that adults are necessarily self-directed, and sometimes they're self-directed the wrong direction. You and I both know that. And they say it has more to do with the emotional development of the individual. So I do get that. Adults bring their experience to the table when they're learning, and they add to the personal richness of it. 
I absolutely agree with that. I see so many people drawing from experiences to make sense of what they're learning, and it's great. They also say that adults tend to seek out learning that is relevant to their life. Yeah, again, I'm kind of meh on that because there are still a large percentage of our population that comes to work to get a paycheck, not to be spiritually fulfilled. And we need to be okay with that. And I don't know about you, but, you know, there are rabbit holes about CIA disguises on YouTube that I've been lost in from time to time. And I'm not in the CIA and I'll probably never wear a disguise. Uh, There's also the readiness to learn. Uh, This I agree with. We usually know why we need to learn something as a grown-up. Not always, but we usually do. And then they say there's a different motivation to learn. Usually it's more intrinsic factors, which could include things like self-confidence, personal development, recognition. The list goes on. But again, we do tie a lot of our learning and environments in the workplace to extrinsic motivation, which is actually out of the pedagogy playbook. So we tend to use a lot of physical rewards uh, in our work environments, like, you know, logo beanies, coffee travelers, t-shirts, things like that. So now the five approaches that I mentioned earlier, you know, the mouthful, you'll figure out which you can automate and which you can support through automation and which requires you or your leaders to walk through it with your trainees and or your mentees. So first we have the constructivist. This means to create a condition to motivate your students to take responsibility for problems they create and develop an environment of being able to retrieve prior knowledge and create the processes of learning, not the product of learning. Can you see where in the Dunning-Kruger grid this fits? I think this is the slope. It's the top of Mount Stupid. How would constructivists come into play there? I also see this as a way to reflect back to processes that you have written down. When people ask you a question, what's the process? What's written down? Where can you find that answer? Now, if you can't find the answer, come to me. But there should be some sort of process they can reflect to that's documented so people always have the same information and the same access to the same behavior. Then there's the collaborative approach. It involves groups of learners working together to solve a problem or complete a task or create a product. Again, this is where team building falls short. I think team building is great when we focus on getting people to understand each other, But team building is not rope courses and ice cream Fridays. True team building happens when people come together and they solve a problem that helps your business succeed. One of the things I used to do with team building was if I was doing the lighthearted one, I would give people a coffee gift card. And the deal was they couldn't just go get coffee. They had to take somebody out that they didn't know and take that time to bond with another team member and get to know about them. So the other thing about this team building approach is during training, we would always build into the training that once a person got done with certain modules, they had to go find a senior member of the team to actually go have lunch with and reflect and learn or sit with for a day so that they were getting to know this person and their style and seeing what they learned put into action. That to me, that's team building. So then there's the integrative approach. It's the blended use of learning styles, and it's used across the teaching platform. Example, I'm an auditory learner. I like podcasts and audiobooks for that reason. When I used to read a lot, I heard the words in my head. I can't subject my team or coworkers to that. I need to meet people on their level. 
I once had a boss that was trying to explain how labels were printed out on rolls, and he grabbed a roll of toilet paper to explain to his visual learner. I still giggle when I think about that. The integrative approach can be across practical and spiritual lessons too. It's not just visual, auditory, kinesthetic, or emotional. Then we have the reflective approach. This approach is more about the teacher than the student. It's how we look at what we did, how we communicated, how we target what needs to be kept, changed, improved, or deleted. So we're looking at the training process. This worked this time. This didn't work this time. You know, how did the whole thing come together and what needs to change as new skills start coming up? Because the training process that worked for me as a Gen X is going to be completely different than my daughter's generation in Gen Z, right? That's what we need to look at. That's what the reflective is about. And then finally, we have inquiry-based. Using the model of ask, then investigate, then create, then discuss, then reflect, then ask. It's a neat little circle. Ideas are challenges, and then they're tested, redefined, and so on. So again, I don't think automation is bad. I think it's a necessary part of business, and I am an advocate for technology to help streamline processes, build accuracy, and use it to keep from repeating yourself. But what parts of what I just explained fill the gaps of the knowledge a person gets from a system? So how do we recognize the Dunning-Kruger effect in our employees? Well, they tend to overestimate their skills during reviews. You know, the people that give themselves all five stars, right? They don't recognize incompetence in their own person, much less other people. They act like a big fish in a little pond, and they might have a superiority complex. And my favorite, they display a high amount of ultra-crepidarianism. <laughs> That's a $5 word, right? Ultra-crepidarianism. It means to give an opinion on a topic poorly understood. So here's the best part. How do you recognize it in yourself? This took a bit of research. Then, of course, I was testing myself constantly after finding this little bit of information. Do you call yourself an expert, but you've never trained anyone to be an expert? That could be a sign. Do you try to inspire people, but it falls flat? That could be a sign, too. When it comes to figuring out if the Dunning-Kruger effect is at play, this is my go-to question for a person or myself. Do I know how much a wrong decision will cost this company? If I don't know, that should stop me in my tracks, should stop you in your tracks. If your employee can't answer that question, pause, use an inquiry-based approach, ask, investigate, create, discuss, reflect, and repeat until you have the cost. So here's my challenge for you as you start to dismantle the fly-by leadership in your organization. Pay attention to what new opportunities arise for you. How can you really train your staff into the plateau of sustainability? Are you using an LMS? If so, don't stop at multiple choice questions at the end of the module. Build in one-on-one -on -one interaction with other staff members. Have your trainee or mentee report back what they learned when they went to lunch with a senior staff member. That will build your team building and will help them see the picture that they have the puzzle pieces for and they can begin assembling it the right way. And better yet, the Dunning-Kruger effect? Accept it. I see it as a natural part of learning. Make it part of your culture that people learn and fall, and sometimes they're overconfident and fall into the valley of despair. Your team and your culture, you'll be better for it. 
You know what Charles Darwin said? He said, ignorance more frequently begets confidence than does knowledge. I think he knew about the Dunning-Kruger effect before it was called that. So that's a wrap for today. Thanks for listening to The Rebellious Recruiter. A quick reminder, I'll be bringing you new information every Monday and an occasional interview later on in the week with another thought leader. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening to this and comment, rate, and review. And share this podcast with other leaders that are looking to build out-of-this-world teams and maybe have a penchant for defying best practices. Go ahead and check me out at millsgroupllc.com and drop me a line there with your thoughts or questions. I might use your subject matter in upcoming shows. And thank you for listening. I know you only have so many hours in the week, and I'm grateful to spend this time with you. Until then, make it a great day. I'll see you on the flip side. This podcast is produced by TH3 Entertainment.